0: Welcome to In Your Corner, the number 1-833-IN-YOUR-CORNER, inyourcorner.ca, and the email address, just as simple, help at inyourcorner.ca as well. Guys, three signs insurance companies may be about to die. Your LTD claim, that is all coming up. Questions, emails, it is a busy show today, but we uh, we get to some uh, success stories, or, or week that was, I guess you could say. James, I think you're up first, yeah?
1: Yeah, so I have a couple of uh, claims that... Have gotten some attention. Um, One is a lady named Julie Austin and the other is a lady named Sandra Bullock. Um, It is spelled the same way as the famous actress but is of course someone quite different. Um, And both of these ladies were denied LTD benefits by their insurers and as it happens on the same day Both insurance companies wrote to me to tell me that they were going to be reinstating these ladies back into claim, which means that they are essentially saying we were wrong. These ladies deserve to have been paid LTD benefits, even from the point where we said that they didn't. And so we are going to pay them for any periods that they missed. Now, one of them, Sandra, as it turns out, they figured this out pretty quickly. Unfortunately, she wasn't actually out of um, any benefits, but they said they were officially putting her back into claim and that she would continue getting her benefits on a monthly basis, as is Julie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so both of these women are in a much better position now than they were before. Um, they you know, have the comfort of knowing that their benefits are going to be coming in. Uh, but the great thing about it is that you know this was not a settlement. This wasn't something that I had to negotiate. This is the insurance company saying we were wrong. Here's the money for it. But that does not end the the legal claims. The legal claims are still out there, and they continue. Uh, for punitive damages they continue for the mental distress caused to each of them uh, they continue for the legal costs that have been incurred and for interest on on the claims and so we'll see what happens with both of those but in both cases a great result for my clients and you know you can look these up online you can go on Google and and uh, just Google Julie Austin or Sandra Bullock and my name James fireman and you'll come you'll see the stories uh, both of them aired on global um, and they were were, you know, done well, and uh, they were initially done at various points, and then they had follow-up stories for both of them. Right. So, great result.
2: And I want to say, <clears throat> this is really important that, you know, these two ladies were denied. They were told straight right. out, right. "You do not get a dime. You do not get anything for your LTD." At the point at which they came to us, and then James did what he did, uh, as we as we do at the firm, we represent our clients. And we pushed hard on that. And those are two success stories. And I'll tell you, John, they're two out of many success stories. At the end of the day, these individuals took the initiative and contacted us. How many people out there don't do that? How many people out there, John, walk away from money? that yeah, Yeah, and it's money that's owed to you. This is the thing that you have to understand. This is not, you know, Julie Austin and Sandra Bullock, they're not getting money now that they don't deserve. No, it's not a windfall. This is not charity from no. the insurance company. The insurance company understand both insurance companies understand that they have no yeah. choice. That if in fact they decide to refuse paying these claims, they would get hammered by a judge. But it's only if you take that initiative and you contact us and we can get into the picture and actually represent you and push back, that's how results are achieved. And that's how you can make the insurance
0: company pay. 1833 in your corner is a number to reach out, take the initiative as uh, as Savannah just mentioned. What else, uh, what do you got going on, pal? Well, I actually just got an email that uh, I want to
2: share with you. This is interesting. So here's what this person posted to mydisabilityquestions.com. He writes, I was referred to a health management consultant with the insurance company, uh, with which I'm, I'm with, which was not my choice. They called and told me that they have set me up with a psychotherapist, And starting a rehab program. I have told them repeatedly that I am not comfortable taking it with them as this will set me back. My family doctor is totally against this, but my psychiatrist says that it was okay to take CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, with them. Can I refuse the treatment as I believe that this will take me backwards and not forwards? So I was going to ask James actually before I I give my answer what he thinks about this.
1: Well, that's a little bit of a difficult answer because typically my response is going to be that you're not required to do anything that your treating doctors say is going to harm you or is unnecessary. But here you got something of a split decision. Um, You have your family doctor saying that you shouldn't do it, it's going to set you back. And you have your psychiatrist saying that it's not necessarily a bad idea and maybe it'll help. And I would tend to suggest to this person, without having obviously reviewed the file in detail, that they are better off agreeing to do it in the circumstances. And the reason for that is because if you don't, you know what's going to happen you know that uh, the insurance company is going to use that as an excuse to cut off your benefits. That is coming. And generally speaking, you want to prolong your benefits as long as possible. So unless you are certain that your family doctor is correct as opposed to your psychiatrist, um, I I would agree to do at least a cognitive behavioral therapy and see how it goes. I would certainly, before that happens... Um, indicate to my adjuster in writing that you have reservations about it mm-hmm. and that your family doctor has told you that it's, it's going to be harmful and that you're going to continue to monitor your progress with both your family doctor and psychiatrist. And if it is harming your, your condition, if it's making you worse, you're going to stop going. I would make sure that that is in the file and on record. But in this circumstance, I would probably tell the person to agree to it.
2: So I agree with you, but I would have a caveat there, which is this. I simply mistrust the insurance company and I would not want to get treatments from anyone that they recommend. Not because whoever they recommend is unworthy or you know they don't know what they're doing. It's yeah. because I have reservations getting treatments from someone that the insurance company told me to go to. No different than if the insurance company told me to go get my car repaired at a particular shop. Right. I'm questioning why that shop is on the preferred list. And so I would be asking my psychiatrist in this instance, can you provide me with cognitive behavioral therapy? Or can you recommend me to someone you trust? Because obviously this person has a relationship with their psychiatrist. So, you know, that's the only caveat to what you said. I agree with you. I think this person should try to do it because clearly the psychiatrist thinks he should.
0: And that's his wheelhouse. I've done CBT, it's, it's, it that, could be phenomenal. But that, yeah. that's not that not there's anything on the GP, but yes. that's kind of their wheelhouse is the CBT. Right?
2: Absolutely, and by the way, I think that by doing that and not refusing the treatment, it gives the insurance company less leverage. Right, cool. and they may still end up cutting you off because that's just what they do. But at least you're not going to put yourself in the hands of whoever it is that they're sending you to who could, by the way, give you those treatments and turn around two weeks later and say, oh, he's all better now. And the insurance company is going to cut you off and, you know, again. Yeah. So that's the only thing that I, I, I would change here. But I, I agree with James overall. You probably do need to do it if
0: your own treating physicians are saying it may help you. Good start uh, to the show. Some good discussion there. Stick around. There's a lot more going on. Emails as well. Help at inyourcorner.ca and to reach out anytime, One eight three three 833 in your corner This is In Your Corner right here on Global News Radio. The number anytime, one eight three three in your corner Help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. You guys got any more uh, week that was or case you want to talk about or we're moving on to our top three?
2: I actually have one okay, here. Cool. And again, I want to get James's take on it. Yep. So this one came from um, uh, a person in B.C., Here's what she writes. She says, I was on LTD for one year and abruptly cut off despite support from four doctors. I was also approved for CPP disability. After going through my RRSP savings, I was also told I owed the LTD insurer $10,000, which was taken from my CPP benefits. Is that right? In essence, I paid for my own LTD. Now, here's the interesting part. When looking for a lawyer to help me, I was denied as I belonged to a union, but my union did not help me at all.
1: And this goes back to 2016. In terms of the CPP portion of it, um, CPP disability is something that anybody who is paid into CPP is entitled to claim for if they become injured, whether or not you have some other insurance policy okay. or not. So you're paying into CPP, you're working, you get injured, you can apply for this. It's a slightly different test, a more difficult test, frankly, um, than most LTD tests um, will have in the policy. Um, but you're entitled to apply for it. But the vast majority of long-term disability policies have language in there that says if you are entitled to apply for cpp disability and you don't apply for it then the insurer is entitled to take a credit for what you would have got if you do apply for it and you get approved they're entitled to a credit for what you do get it's only if you apply for it and you're denied that it doesn't change the situation so you know what this uh, this person is writing about makes some sense because the insurance company is entitled to rely on that part of the policy and if you would have been entitled to CPP disability benefits and hadn't applied for it, then in theory they can ask for it. Whether a court would give it to them, especially if they haven't, you know, notified you of your obligation to do that in advance, if they waited, you know, several years to do this and then um, say, "Oh, by the way, you owe us all of this money," is another question. In most cases, if you apply for CPP disability and get approved, there is a retroactive component you can usually get up to a year, Um, and so that may well be what this is talking about. And in those cases, that retroactive payment will almost always go directly to the insurance company. So that part of it makes sense. Um, The other part of it, in terms of um, her union not helping her, we see this quite often, um, people who are in unions um, will almost always go to their union first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's understandable when they're denied by their insurance company. Um, and more often than not, far more often than not, unfortunately, the unions aren't well equipped to assist their union members in these types of claims. Absolutely. Um, they yeah. don't have lawyers that specialize in disability insurance. They rarely have non lawyers who have. Any real expertise in it, you know, maybe they have someone that knows a little bit about it, but it's not the same thing as getting legal advice from a lawyer that practices primarily in this field of law. It's just not the same, and so that you know her that her union wasn't able to help her is not surprising. We see that quite
2: often. Well, in fact, uh, going back to uh, the story of the day, Julie Austin. I mean, she's part of a union, and in fact, something interesting
1: happened there, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, what happened in that case is her insurance company had done some surveillance, and you know, I—I'll I, sort of cut to the chase here. When I took a look at the surveillance, it was probably the best evidence that I had of her disability. <laughs> it, you know, they did—I think—seventy hours of surveillance, and it showed her not le- over five days. Four of the five days she either didn't leave the house or left for a five minute car ride to Tim Horton's to pick up a coffee. That was the extent of her activity. The other day she was slightly more active, but had her mother with her and It's not like she was you know playing basketball or running you know laps around the jiu-jitsu. track you know she was doing some shopping, you know pushing a cart that was about the extent of it. It wasn't a physical injury. This was a mental health claim. And every time she was seen, she was seen wearing these sunglasses, which was another big issue in the case. She had a light sensitivity because she, had, she suffered a cognitive injury, a brain injury. And so this really proved the case for me. But... Getting back to the union, the union sees that they had this surveillance, and for whatever reason, you say surveillance, and it has this cachet about it, as though, you know, all of a sudden, you know, that's the, you know, the trump card. Oh, they've got surveillance. There's nothing I can do. You have to actually look at it and understand the meaning of it, and you have to be able to go through the file and appreciate how how that's going to work. And unfortunately, the union um, that she had just wasn't in a position to be able to understand the significance of it and why it actually helped her, didn't hurt her. And so they weren't able to do anything with it. And so when she came to us, we were able to get that turned around and, you know, we just found out that she got put back onto claim. You know, on the issue of surveillance, John,
2: I have to tell you, we're going to talk about this uh, in a few shows down the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a case that uh, I I took to trial and we got a decision, a favorable decision from my client earlier this year. And there's a paragraph in that judgment from the judge where he comments about the surveillance from the other side, and you know in a way not saying it in in a very kind of you know I was going to say in a bad way, but I mean, he he, right. said, he essentially suggests that it was a waste of time for the court to look at all these hours of surveillance and I remember there being in court and looking at the surveillance that was up there. And you can see the judge getting bored with it and and the thing is that you never want a judge bored with the evidence you 're trying to showcase and that 's what happened here with the other side trying to show that my client somehow was either malingering or not telling the truth. The judge literally commented in that decision that that surveillance was essentially useless so again, that goes to to to, to james 's point. I want to go back to that uh, really quickly that uh, that question that was posted. The one thing that this person mentioned at the end after mentioning the union was this goes back to 2016. We are in 2019 now. That is a big problem. Remember, you have two years from the date you were first denied long-term disability or the date you were cut off. That date, the clock starts running from that date, two years. If you wait beyond that two-year mark, your claim is now jeopardized. It's, a, it's, it's an extremely uphill battle. It's extremely difficult to, to get beyond that. There, there are rare exceptional circumstances. You don't want to be in that situation, which is, again, why we always tell people, do not appeal these denials. You are running out the clock. And we also you know, tell people, if you have a lawyer, that's okay. You don't have to come to us. As long as you have a lawyer helping you, hopefully somebody who knows what they're doing, you don't want to be in a situation where that lawyer is running out the clock because you know we've seen those before, too you know, since we started doing this show years ago, John, I've had people contacting me who have been represented by lawyers, and those lawyers have not done their job. And those individuals, you know, their claims were evaporated, essentially, because they didn't start the legal claim within the two years.
0: Three signs that the insurance company may be about to deny your LTD claim. We're going to do that after a short break. You want to reach out, help. At inyourcorner.ca and simply one eight three three in your corner. That's coming up. Stick around on Global News Radio. One eight three three in your corner is the number. Help at inyourcorner.ca. We'll get to some uh, some emails in just a bit. And I think it's timely to mention that, uh, guys. This time of year, especially that you deal with car accidents and slip and falls too, as well, right?
2: Yeah, that's very important to uh, yeah. you know to mention. In fact, when we first started the show years ago, John, we focused primarily on that, that's and right. then we had more people contacting us about disability claims. And oftentimes, you have people who are injured because of a slip and fall or a car accident. And then they have issues not only with that, because they want to get compensation for their injuries, but also with their LTD insurer. And again, this is very important. Remember, just like I talk about people losing their jobs when they're on LTD, and I tell mm-hmm. them, you have to speak with one of our employment lawyers, because the two areas, employment and disability, they overlap. Yep. Same thing with accidents. There are lawyers out there you know, who know really well car accident law, insurance law, but they don't know long-term disability, and they dabble in it. And you need to know both if you're going to handle both. And we handle both, and we handle the employment side, which yep. is why it's such a you know uh, cool exchange of ideas around the office because the lawyers and interact. Efficient. It's, effi- it's efficient, and yeah. the right hand knows what the left hand is doing. And the end result is that the client ends up getting more money in their pocket. So that's very, very important, John. I want people to know that. We definitely can help you if you've been injured in a slip and fall, car accident, any type of accident where you suffered injuries.
0: All right, three signs the insurance company may be about to deny your LTD claim number one. They've asked you to attend an assessment with one of their doctors or consultants. Yeah, that's a pretty good sign that they're um, trying to get their ducks in a row, so to speak.
1: Um, If they were content uh, to continue paying you benefits, they wouldn't spend the money to hire someone to do this kind of an assessment. So they're paying out of pocket. And if they're doing that, it's only because they think in the end they're going to save money. And the only way they're going to save money on your claim in the long run is by cutting you off. So whenever they are spending money out of pocket to hire anyone to look into your claim and to spend their time assessing your file, that's a pretty good sign that they're trying to find a way to cut you off and you know they don't really try all that hard they'll use any excuse that they can find and so when you see that happening you should have your guard up in fact you should have your guard up at all times anyway but that's really a big red flag that they have really started to change their thinking on on your file and that they're looking to cut you off
0: Number two, the uh, chances that your insurance company may be denying your LTD claim, they've uh, suggested that you should maybe start a gradual return to work program.
2: So that does happen quite a lot as well. And, you know, I was speaking this morning with someone at my office who was speaking last night with uh, a disabled person whose adjuster apparently at the beginning was very, very friendly. I mean, we know how that happens. You know, adjusters befriend you, you know, they're your best pal, best buddy. And at some point they say, oh, well, you know, maybe you should try to go back. Maybe it makes sense, okay. you know, and you feel like they have your best interests at heart. That's not always the way that, you know, it comes up, but in many instances that, that's how it comes up. Uh, and, you know, do, do, you, do you have to, to do a return to work program? Uh, no, you, 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 you don't if you're not ready and if your doctors are saying that you're not ready. But here's the thing. As soon as they start suggesting it or even insinuating it, Maybe they haven't said that clearly in writing. Maybe, you know, they haven't sent you a letter stating you have to try that. Maybe they've just suggested it. Yeah. Nudge, they're, nudge, wink, they're wink. Already they're already yeah. thinking. They're already thinking. And by the way, they may not ask you. Sometimes they have direct lines of communication because you've given it to them with your own doctors. And doctors oftentimes do believe, in fact, most times do believe that it is in the best interest of the patient to try as soon as possible to get back on their feet and back into work. And you know the risk here, obviously, is that you go back to work prematurely, your health gets worse, you deteriorate, and you're in a worse-off situation position than you were at the right. beginning. But as soon as they insinuate to you, as soon as they suggest to you that maybe you should try a return-to-work program or anything of the sort, that's a red flag. It doesn't mean you can do anything about that immediately, right? But you should be mindful that they're already thinking on how to cut you off.
1: Yeah, the language is important, too. In the first two years... Um the language that they'll use will be a gradual return to work program or possibly they'll suggest to you that you should contact your employer and see if your job is available with modified duties, which might mean Changing what you do on a day-to-day basis to account for whatever limitations you have, it might mean modifying your hours to some extent if that's what's necessary, but it's the same sort of idea. A gradual return to work program, modified hours. In the first two years, you see that a lot. The reason for that is because in the first two years, the benefits are payable if you can't return to your Mm -hmm. own occupation. The language changes a little bit. It's the same sort of scenario, but it changes a little bit leading up to the two-year mark and certainly beyond that. After that point, you'll hear things like job retraining or a job placement program. We can provide you with assistance with that. When you hear those things,
0: you know what your insurance company is thinking. It just depends on the timing. Number three of the uh, three signs that the insurance company may be about to deny your LTD claim They told you or suggested to you that they checked your social media posts and conducted surveillance on you. Surveillance rears its ugly head for a second time today. Yeah, so again, this gets back to what
1: uh, we were talking about on the first point. Surveillance, You know, they will hire an investigator to do that, and there are independent, I, I'm using air quotes, independent um, investigation companies that they'll hire and uh, give them a budget of X dollars for X number of days, and sometimes they'll increase that depending on what they find. But they're paying money out of pocket, so again anytime your insurance company is paying money out of pocket to manage your file beyond just you know paying the adjuster's salary on a, on a weekly basis it's a pretty good sign that they're looking to cut you off social media posts if they're talking about that what they're trying to do is essentially bully you or scare you into thinking that you've done something wrong and soften you up so that when they do cut you off and it will happen sooner or later that you're less likely to challenge their decision because you're going to think back to it and say,
0: I'm guilty.
1: Oh, yeah, they looked at my social media as though that is the be-all and end-all, and that changes everything. It doesn't. People understand in this day and age that social media is not an accurate reflection of what your life is really like, Most people are going to just put the good bits out there. Some people are a little bit more transparent. But even so, what lies behind someone's social media account is really anyone's guess. And unless you're talking about someone with a physical disability or claiming to have a physical disability that is shown doing something that is obviously beyond what they say they're able to do... In that case, sure, the insurance company's got a pretty good argument. I wouldn't argue with them. Uh, but in most other cases, especially when you're talking about mental health claims, people dealing with depression, if I see an insurance company say, oh, I looked at the social media posts and you know, there's this picture of them with their family and they're smiling, so obviously they're not depressed, uh, I get angry about that because yeah. you know that just doesn't make any sense and it shows a complete lack of understanding and a lack of compassion doctors who are treating, psychiatrists who are treating people who have mental health claims invariably are going to tell Um, their patients, that the best thing for them is to do what they can to socialize, to experience life, to try and enjoy the world around them. And it doesn't mean because you have a good moment that, you know, all of a sudden you're no longer depressed, that you no longer have a mental health disability. That is not the case. And it really doesn't take a medical degree to understand that. So when it's suggested, I get
0: quite upset about that. And I push back very hard when I see that. Email is up next. It is help at inyourcorner.ca. That is on the way. Stick around. Lots more show is coming right up on Global News Radio. One eight three three in your corner is the number. Help at inyourcorner.ca. The email or quite simply inyourcorner.ca. You want more information uh, about the show anytime. Email from Andrew. First one up says my wife who is fifty one suffers from an autoimmune disease, arthritis, osteoporosis, depression, and chronic fatigue. That is a heck of a list. Her uh, her family doctor. Uh, rheumatologists and psychologists all agree that she can't work at this point, and yet the insurance company says that she won't get LTD because she doesn't have enough medical documentation supporting her being disabled and off work. I don't understand how they can say that with all of her doctors saying uh, the exact opposite, to be to be honest. Is there a point appealing this decision? She already gets CPP disability. No, Andrew, there is absolutely no point in appealing. This is something that we see quite often
2: Uh, It's very routine, in fact, for insurance companies to fire back despite a mountain of medical opinions from doctors who are treating a disabled person for the insurance company to say there's just insufficient medical documentation. And you're scratching your head because you're thinking, "What, what does that mean? How can that be, possibly be? When my doctors are all saying I am disabled.
1: When CPP disability, yes. which is a tougher test, is saying that she's disabled.
2: Absolutely. But insurance companies, you know, they play by their own rules. And, and really, at the end of the day, what are they trying to do with the insurance company? They're trying to get you off claim. They're trying to shake you. Sure. And one of the ways that they can shake you and get you to walk away is to deny your claim. Whether the denial is legitimate or not is irrelevant from their perspective, because ultimately, they achieve their goal in many instances. So, Andrew did the right thing here, John, contacting us on behalf of his wife. And many people do the right thing by contacting us, just like Julie Austin and Sandra Bullock and many other individuals that we've been able to help. If you don't do anything, and if you don't stand up to the insurance company, stand up for your rights or for the rights of your loved ones or your friends, nothing is going to happen. All that's going to happen is that your loved one or your friend is not going to get the money that they are owed. Very, very important to understand Do not appeal these decisions. They're going to lead you nowhere as far as I am concerned, and I'm qualifying that because insurance companies will come out and say, oh, we have approved this and we've approved that. You know what? I would love to see statistics. I don't think we have any from insurance companies.
1: They'll never disclose those. How many of those appeals
2: actually get reversed?
1: You know, if you listen to our show on a weekly basis, you may be wondering why on earth anybody would appeal why they wouldn't just automatically start a legal claim and in fact that is what you should do but i understand why it happens when people are denied their benefits or they're cut off they get a very official looking letter it's on the insurance company's letterhead and they'll start by citing the language in the policy and it's all Written in legalese and it's difficult to decipher even if you work in this area and it can be quite confusing reading that and then they go through an analysis of your claim and if you're lucky they're not cherry picking only the parts that are good for them but usually that's what they're doing Um, and then they say because of these reasons in the language of the policy you don't meet the definition of disabled or totally disabled and then they'll say but there's good news (sighs) But wait, there's more. You can appeal this claim. All you have to do is within 90 days, send us any other information that you have and tell us why you think we got it wrong. And we'll be happy to reconsider it. Mm. So number one, you know, they're giving you this ray of hope as though, you know, this is what's going to be the answer. Of course, if I can just explain it to them, they'll understand. They understand already. They're just leading you on. They want to keep you under their control. And the way that they do that is by preventing you from going and talking to a lawyer. And if they give you an option that will allow you to continue fighting or what you think is fighting within their system, that's what most people are going to do if they haven't been told that there are other options. But if they don't see any options, sooner or later, they're going to figure out I should probably talk to someone who is an expert in this, who deals with this. And that person is sooner or later going to be a lawyer. So that's why they put it in there. And that's why people do the appeals because it's presented to them as, you know, not only the best option, but the only option. This is, this is what you Mm -hmm. do. You know, you get this from your insurance company. It's like it's being handed down from God. This is the process. You know, you get denied, you appeal. No, you get denied. You talk to a lawyer, you bring a legal claim. That's what you do.
2: Well, but there's one thing that I think you're missing here and one thing that you haven't uh, said, which I think that we should say, which is to call a spade a spade. Another reason why people don't trust necessarily what we're saying is because we're lawyers and people distrust lawyers, right? I mean, from Hollywood and experiences (laughs) people have had. And frankly, you know what? If, if, I, if I'm thinking now of, of all the lawyers that I know, and, and particularly some of them that come to mind that are in our field, James, you know what? I wouldn't trust lawyers either necessarily. You have to know who to go to. It's just like anything, whether it's a doctor or a dentist, you have to do your research. Here's the thing. Lawyers are the people that can help you. No different than if you have a medical issue, you have to go to a doctor, a specialist, somebody who deals with that particular ailment that you need help with. And if you don't do it and you subscribe to, you know, something that is not scientific, let's say, well, then you do it at your own peril. Same thing here. And that's what happens with many people who end up coming to us after not listening to us, going through the appeals process, getting frustrated by it, And then thinking to themselves, okay, well, there is absolutely nothing else that we can do. We might as well call Silvano James. And that's, you know, why I tell people you have to do your research. You have to go to people who know what they're doing, to lawyers who know this area of law specifically. And again, if you were to Google us, Google our names, you will see some of the exposure we've had in the media. And it's not just on these shows, John. It's people we've helped. You Google my name, you Google James's name, you're going to see stories, real people's stories across the country. And, and that's that's what you need to know. And at the end of the day, if after everything, you still decide to go the appeals route, well, then again, you do it at your own peril and you're playing to the insurance company to what they want you to do. They're controlling you. And ultimately, you're probably going to fail. But that's that's your money, right? We can't force you to do this. We can only give you the options. And once we give you the
0: options, we've done our job. We've educated you. Now you have to decide how to deal with your future. It's one-eight three three in your corner, in your corner.ca and bounce over to another email after a short break. That is help at inyourcorner.ca. Lots more of the show is on the way. Global News Radio six forty Toronto. One eight three three in your corner is that number. It is help at inyourcorner.ca. Cheryl up next says I'm contacting you on behalf of a very close friend of mine. She was denied LTD, and her doctor at the rehab center she goes to said that he will help her appeal the denial. She's 56 years old and had a stroke that caused her some paralysis and issues with focus and concentration. Despite his good intentions, should her doctor be doing this? Is there a, is there a risk of her appealing with this help? Well, first and foremost,
1: I'm going to go back to what we were just talking about on the last segment. Don't appeal. You know, appealing is not going to get you anywhere. All it's going to do is prolong your ability to resolve the case. That's all it does. It keeps it in the insurer's control. But the bigger point I really want to make here is that you know, while it's great that her doctor wants to help and supports um, the you know the disability and that you know she's not able to work, that's really helpful. But it's not a doctor's position. Doctor does not have expertise in long-term disability litigation. They do not have a trade They do not have the training or experience to understand what you are supposed to do, how you deal with insurance companies, and what the most effective path is. And that is clearly evident in the fact that he wants to help her appeal. Right. If he understood yeah. what he was doing, you know, at the very least, he would want to help her bring a legal claim. Now, obviously, a doctor can't do that. You need to talk to a to a lawyer for that. Uh, but you know, doctors are you know obviously invaluable resources in the legal process. We rely on them heavily, but not for legal advice, for medical advice. Um, The the same way I think every single client I have, I tell them at some point sooner or later, I'm not a doctor. You don't listen to me for medical advice. You listen to your doctor. I'm here to give you legal advice. The opposite is also true. You don't listen to your doctor for legal advice. You listen to them for medical advice. The the other thing
2: that comes to mind here is that, you know, we're thinking when when James and I look at these claims, we're thinking what would happen if we were in court? You know, most of these cases never, ever yeah. see court. OK, we settle these cases. Insurance companies don't want to take the risk of a bad judgment. But we're thinking we have to think what happens if this goes before a judge. And here's my concern this doctor, as soon as he sort of leaves that sphere of I am a treating person, I'm treating this person, trying to get them better, and gets into that sphere of I'm now an advocate, not a medical advocate, beyond that, in a way you may have, he may have or she may have tainted themselves, right, in, in, in the eyes of the court. I, you know, it sort of casts some doubt as to their quote-unquote objectivity, of the situation, even though technically they probably wouldn't be objective anyways, because they're the treating doctor as opposed to an independent assessor. But again, I have concerns about how they would be as a witness if we had to ask them questions in front of a judge. I have concerns about whether or not uh the, the, their point of view or the way that they're handling the treatment. And and frankly there's another thing here. Uh you know, doctors are paid by OHIP or sometimes there are services that are behind you know beyond uh, OHIP then you're starting to question, does the doctor have a different motivation? Is there a financial motivation? Is he charging her to help her? So again, you know, I think what this doctor should do is refer her to a lawyer in that area, a lawyer like us, right? doesn't have to be us. can be anybody in that area, but someone who actually knows this area of law, not area of medicine, who can help her and, and, and get
0: everything back on track with the insurance company. George, your email is up next. George says, I work as a manager in a large company and I make $115,000 a year with bonus. I've been struggling with depression all my life, but after I got divorced last year, got worse. My psychologist agrees that I can't work. But despite that, I was told by my insurance company that if I don't get started on a gradual return to work program uh, in March, I will be cut off. I don't know what to do. I'm not ready to go back and uh, I'm afraid to tell that to the insurance company. Need some help. Well, I mean, George, look, we've said this
2: time and time again, and I'll repeat this. This is very important. If you feel that you're not ready to go back to work, and the people who are treating you, psychologist psychiatrist, doctor, whoever it is, they're telling you you are not ready to go back to work, and they've put that in writing to the insurance company, you have no obligation to go back to work. Now, that may lead to the insurance company cutting you off. It will lead to them cutting you it, off. It, it, it probably will. Fine. It probably will. That's true. Yeah. But But here's the thing. What's the alternative? The alternative is you actually acting against medical advice, going to work, getting worse, not being able to sustain that work. Now you're worse off from a health standpoint. And the insurance company has still cut you off. So what is the point here? There is absolutely no point in doing that. And if you do that, you do that at your own peril. And, you know, we've had situations where I've had clients come to me And I've then interacted with the adjuster and I've threatened the adjuster, the insurance company, and I've said, look, you know, if you're forcing this person to go back to work, despite the fact that their doctors are saying they cannot go back to work, we are going to hit you not only with a legal claim for the benefits that you owe him, but for punitive damages because you guys are forcing this individual into a position that not only is not recommended by his or her doctors, but into a position that's going to make their health worse. That's not your job. Your job is to be a safety net, to give them the time and the space for them to do whatever treatments are prescribed for them to be able to go back to work. But we see this time and time again. And insurance companies, again, do this as a bully tactic. Mm -hmm. It's an unfair tactic. It's too bad there's no regulation against it. But there isn't an insurance company. It's like the Wild West. And until we get involved, insurance companies think that they can get away with it because here's the reality, John, they do get away with it. People do end up trying to go back to work, despite what their doctors are saying, and they end up in a much worse off situation.
0: You want to reach out, it's simple. It's one eight three three in your We'll get to more emails as we get down to our last uh, few minutes of the show for this week. That is help at inyourcorner.ca or the website is inyourcorner.ca as well. Lots more coming up. Hang on. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one eight three three in your corner is the number. Email is help at inyourcorner.ca as well. Uh, you know, we were talking about going back to work and your insurance company is saying, you know, you should get back to some sort of uh, back-to-work program. When should a person try to go back to work if they're on LTD? Uh, I mean, how do they talk to the about that? Should they confirm anything in writing or just verbal or how, how does it work? I'm not sure how other lawyers deal with this. I
1: can only tell you what I do and what I tell my clients. And this is a conversation that I typically will have the first time I meet with my clients. In almost all cases, my clients tell me that you know, they hope that they're going to get better, and they're still you know, somewhat optimistic that at some point they're going to get better, and they want to go back to work. I hear that time and time yep. again. And they are worried that if they start a legal claim, against their insurance company, that now they won't be able to go back to work if and when they are medically able to do so. And that is not the case. I make that very clear from the outset. If you're listening now, you are able to go back to work if you start a legal claim. If you are medically fit, if your doctors are telling you you can go back to work, you can go back to work. And not only can you go back to work, you should. The
0: insurance company will love you.
1: I, I, sure, but right. you know, think about it from this perspective. Most disability policies pay you roughly two-thirds, sometimes 60% of what your income would be. Right. So right out of the gate, you're losing a third of your income. And that's assuming that when you bring a legal claim, you're recovering 100% from the insurance company, which is rarely the case. More often than not, you're going to have to compromise at least a little bit to get a settlement. And then you have to pay legal fees, which is going to take more off of whatever you recover. And so you're always better off if you are able to go back to work. And that is what I tell my clients. The only thing they have to make sure of is that their doctors approval of it. The doctors say it's okay. And that they let me know. It's obviously important that I understand if there's a major change or development in their condition and especially in their status at work. Uh, But as long as they follow those steps, then yeah, they can go back to work. And so what should you do if you feel like you're getting better and you want to go back to work? Well, step number one is you talk to your doctor. And you see, does your doctor or your treating healthcare practitioners do they say it's okay? If they do say it's okay, you let me know and then you contact your employer to make sure that there's still a position there and that if your doctors have put any conditions on your return to work, that your employer is prepared to abide by those conditions or modifications. And then you make sure that your doctor provides a note that very clearly sets out um, that this is an attempt, that they're not saying that you are, you know, fully better and able to go back to work, but that you are at least improved enough that you can try going back to work as long as you follow by these conditions. And you make sure that that's in writing. And Then you can let your adjuster know that this is what you're doing. You're trying to return to work. Um, it rarely happens that way, and I say that because more often than not, the insurance company is going to force you to try and go back to work before you're right. ready. But if it happens the other way, that's how I would go about it.
0: So, you know, we, we got a wrap for the, uh, the day, Savannah. So you should not fear going back, attempting, and having to go back off again because it didn't work no you should
2: not fear that and you know l- let me say this john i've had people contact me again because of this show over the years who are represented by other lawyers where other lawyers have told them do not go back to work and i've seen this by the way in injury claims too especially in injury claims if your lawyer is telling you not to go back to work when in fact you can that's unethical mm-hmm. It's it's against everything that we are taught as lawyers to do. It's like an accountant telling you, here's how you do tax evasion, one-on-one.
1: It is a huge red
2: flag. It's a huge red flag for, for the lawyer to tell you that. And, and I would be very concerned if your lawyer is doing that, I don't know what else the lawyer is doing that's wrong. And I can tell you, I know some of those lawyers. And you know, if they want to practice that way, that's up to them. I can't control what they do. But I can tell you, if you're listening and you have a lawyer that's telling you that, major, major red flag. And you know, here's here's the other thing. And I'm I'm saying this as someone who used to work for insurance companies. Insurance companies know reputation of lawyers, and they know which lawyers are legit, which lawyers are ethical, which lawyers are
0: not, and they will treat your case accordingly. Good way to wrap it for this week, fellas. You want to reach out, one eight three three in your corner. In your corner is the website and email just as simple help at in your Till next time, this has been In Your Corner on Global News Radio, six forty Toronto.